Well, good afternoon, everyone. The H1B guy here. And today, the H1B guy live, January 22nd, 2022. Today, I'm going to cover H1B petitions being transferred. Immigration reform could possibly help curb inflation. And are more H1Bs on the horizon, as well as taking your questions and comments. But before we get started, I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already, to please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention that H1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues in the recruitment process while bringing awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. You can book an appointment directly with me via the h1bguy.com. Today's live stream is proudly brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain, by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process, and also by Mob Squad. Are you a technology professional facing US work visa related challenges? If your OPT visa may be about to expire and you weren't selected in the H1B lottery that was held back in March, our partner Mob Squad has a solution. Join the squad. Well, I wanted to thank everyone who has taken time uh, to watch my previous live streams. Uh, you may have noticed over the last couple of weeks, I've not produced any H-1B guy news. Uh, there's a few factors for that, mainly of which just personally, I've been extremely busy and unable to create the content and do the appropriate amount of editing required to produce those videos. And the news has been fairly slow for us in the immigration world. But there were a few things over the last couple of weeks that I've caught from a news perspective um, that I wanted to talk about. Uh, of course, if you have questions or comments, you can always drop those in the chat. We'll get to those after I go through a couple of these, uh, these articles that I wanted to co cover today. Um, but I definitely want to have conversations around, um, again, some of the, the discussions here in visa cases being transferred. Uh, the thoughts on how immigration reform could, could potentially help us curb some of the inflation. Um, and of course, the consistent uh, and constant suggestion of increasing H-1B visas. So let's uh, go ahead and get started and, and jump right into a news release that was posted uh, last Thursday on USCIS.gov. Um, that says, quote, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services announced today that certain H-1B petitions and fiscal year 2023 H-1B cap petitions awaiting intake at the Vermont Service Center are being transferred to the California Service Center for data entry and adjudication. We are transferring these cases in response to the H-1B receipt issuance delays at VCS Vermont Service Center. Please continue to file petitions based on addresses provided on the direct filing addresses for Form I-129 Petition for Non-Immigrant Worker page. 
The workload transfer will help us issue receipt notices for properly filed H-1B petitions more quickly. Please allow time for the CSC, California Service Center, to process the transferred cases and do not submit duplicate petitions out of concern that your petition is transferred. You will not receive a transfer notice, but you will receive a receipt notice as soon as your petition is receipted. Petitions will be worked to completion at the CSC once transferred, and for inquiries about case status, please use the petition receipt number. We continue to experience receipt issuance delays and other workloads across some service centers. We are actively trying to reduce these delays. So this is really interesting. I think that this shows us um, one, you know, Vermont is fairly behind in their processing of H-1B visas. Uh, I think it also shows us that there's been a pretty significant early response um, to the H-1B application period uh, that started back in, in April 1st. Um, of course, you know, one of the biggest things out there that's, that is most concerning for new initial H-1B employment is that receipt notice, specifically if those cases are filed in premium processing, those applications, right, gives you a timestamp. What I find most interesting is Vermont and California are literally coast to coast, right, two extremes. And I'm wondering if we start to look at some of the data, if Vermont is behind, if it's based on human capital, employees, or if it's based more on caseload. And caseload meaning the amount of H-1Bs that were selected specifically in what I would call East Coast, right? Um, most of all of East Coast H-1B petitions um, are typically filed via the Vermont Service Center. Uh, at least that's, that's been my experience. But the thing that I find really interesting about this announcement is that it comes 14 days, last Thursday, 14 days um, ahead of the deadline for H-1B applications for that paper filing period. So what does that mean when we start to look at where Vermont is from a receipt notice standpoint? What does that mean when we start to look at where California is from a receipt notice standpoint? And if we compare kind of those two things, what does that lead us to believe as we look into um, when these approvals will be put out, or at least when USCIS is going to have a good grasp of the application rate, right? We talked about that a lot last week, where USCIS has publicly stated, and, and this has been a theme over the last several months, uh, when you talk about 483,000 plus applications, 127,000 registrations selected, but we know that there's only 85,000, give or take, H-1B visas that are made available um, annually that are allocated for this fiscal year. So this is really interesting when we start to think about what does that mean for a second selection and when do we foresee that that second selection, that announcement, second round could, could possibly come up. Um, I think that, that this means to me that USCIS is realizing California Service Center has bandwidth, Vermont's extremely backed up, and they're going to need to get a, a good count um, so that they know by the end, middle, middle to end of July, if a, if a second selection, second random selection is necessary. However, this is going on in, in many situations, right? We've seen this occurring um, in the Texas Service Center, Nebraska Service Center, where we're looking at, uh, you know, USCIS is now transferring cases 
um, to try to help expedite the process and, and re reduce some of these significant processing delays uh, that I've covered now for the better part of a year and a half. And so, look, USCIS can no longer use the pandemic as an excuse. Uh, they've been funded. The fees that they, they collect allow them to self-sustain, right? And so hopefully this is a sign of some of what I would call balancing, uh, meaning that there should hopefully be a reduction um, in receipt notices and delays in receipt notices. Hopefully this means that they're going to be approving initial new H-1B cases in a much more efficient manner uh, going forward. But um, if any of you out there received an update that your case was transferred and you've gotten receipt notice maybe sometime in the last uh, five to six days, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Or if you're watching this at a future date and your case was one of those ones transferred, I'd be curious to know when your, uh, your, your petitioner, your employer submitted that initially to the Vermont Center. Um, and then that would give others out there a good, good frame of reference, point of reference uh, from a timeline perspective. If their case was filed in a similar manner, um, they could possibly be looking at having their case transferred to California as well. Um, but just wanted to ask you again, if you, if you haven't already, please like this video. Uh, make sure that you're subscribed to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube. Click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we go live like we have here today on June the 22nd, 2022 at a little after 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, if you are looking for ways you can support the H1B Guy platform, of course, you can do so currently through the Super Chat function uh, during the live stream on YouTube. Or if you're watching this at a later date, you can support us via the Super Thanks, um, as well as there are other manners to which you can help produce and support um, all of the content that's produced here on this platform, as well as on the h1bguide.com, uh, links to do so in the video description below. If you have questions or comments, um, I see a couple have already been posted in the chat. Uh, please feel free to post any questions or comments that you have, um, any topics or points of reference discussion that you would like to have. Um, I've got a couple of more um, subjects that I, I definitely want to get into, um, but would want to do a Q&A, make sure that, that we get through your questions and comments towards the end of the stream. Moving on to the idea of immigration reform um, that could potentially help curb inflation, or as uh, Sabrina Rodriguez wrote for Politico uh, back on June 14th, um, Republican donors to GOP leaders bipartisan immigration reform would ease inflation. So the article goes on to say, and there was a couple paragraphs that, that really stood out to me, um, and, and that's this. First, more than a dozen GOP donors, right? We're talking about donors. Millions of dollars are trying a new tack and using Republican congressional leaders to get serious about granting so-called dreamers. Okay, so two types of dreamers, right? We have undocumented and documented. This is referring to both here. Uh, legal status, it'll help ease inflation and the U.S. labor shortage. In April, a bipartisan group of senators, Senator Dick Durbin, uh, Senator Alex Padilla, Senator Tom Tillis, and Senator John Cornyn, uh, relaunched discussions on immigration reform. However, they have not reached any breakthrough in those talks. Uh, that echoes previous efforts last year, 
where a larger bipartisan group of senators began talks in March that ultimately went nowhere. With less than five months until the midterm elections, there is no momentum uh, for a bipartisan deal to be reached. A point some of the donors who signed on to the letter acknowledge as well. You know, this is really interesting and something that I've talked about a lot um, is the concept of I didn't expect us to see a lot of forward uh, progress in immigration reform in 2022. And the reason behind that was that we are in a midterm election year. Um, and so it's almost one of those where the window to get something done was the second half of, of last year's term. Uh, and unfortunately, that didn't happen. We've seen progress. Uh, there's no doubt about it. We've seen progress. We've seen a lot of discussions around immigration. Uh, you know, as I've talked about, there are literally seven, possibly eight smaller standalone immigration uh, bills that are in various stages of committee um, and, and the various chambers, uh, both the, the House of Reps and, and the Senate. Uh, we've also talked a good bit about the idea of comprehensive immigration reform um, and, and the likelihood of, of that occurring. And, and I think, again, the theme that I continue to hear, which is really disappointing, is that the talks are happening, but that's all it really seems to be right now, right, is, is a, lot of, a lot of talk. But what I come back to, and, and there's a few points that I always make when we start to look at, at the labor pool, labor shortage, human capital, the talent acquisition component uh, to which I cover a good bit here on this channel. And, and that is we need modifications to our current immigration laws um, that will assist small businesses, large enterprises, farmers, uh, industrial, manufacturing, all industries can assist them in, in this labor shortage. Uh, and it just isn't about the high-skilled immigrants, right? That's a big component of what we talk about here, but it's not just about that. Day laborers is a significant piece of this as well. It, it just is. It's not a subject that, that can be ignored. So what we start to wonder here is, is does a combo, right, of a documented and undocumented dreamer um, piece of legislation, does, does it find its way through? Does it garner that bipartisan support? I've been on record saying that I, I felt most confident about the uh, the America's Children's Act, uh, but what it appears now, while it has some bipartisan support, is is I'm starting to 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 feel like there's a possibility that it's not going to happen this year as we move closer and closer uh, to this midterm election. Right, with runoffs coming in various states, Georgia had their their runoff here yesterday. Um, so we're starting to see, you know, we're getting into that back half of, of this, this year, 2022, the 2022 term. Uh, it, it feels like immigration reform uh, is constantly taking a back burner. Um, and that's an immigration reform of, of all types, right? Um, that is, you know, the, the, the reform, again, as I mentioned, the, the aforementioned America's Children's Act, the Eagle Act, um, which has kind of a 10-year window um, and moves around uh, uh, green cards to help eliminate the, the green card backlog. 
Um, looking at uh, other bills that that want to eliminate country quota per, per country quota caps that exist, um, as, as we've talked about a lot, has been the root cause of a lot of issues specifically for H-1B um, individuals that are living and working here in the U.S. and, and their dependents, their children, um, their spouses, the, the lack of work authorization that they have immediately from, from moving here into the U.S. Um, other reform that we've seen, that, that H-1B and L-1 uh, Immigration Reform Act or Reform Act, um, we've also seen some smaller pieces of legislation from uh, Representative Zoe Lofgren, uh, which is recapture, right? The uh, lo looking at the recapture, the the wastage the, of the spillovers that's happened over the last few years, and just because of the pandemic, USCIS's inability to process the annual allocation um, that's that's been given to them. So again, the question becomes: Where is the immigration reform? And is it going to happen here in 2022? And as we continue to, to creep closer and closer to the midway point of the year, you know, July 1st, um, I, I'm beginning to kind of have this gut feeling. Um, I'm, I'm not as positive as I was on the likelihood of there being some reform uh, maybe one to two months ago. It, it just feels like it's, it's continuing to be pushed to the back burner, continuing to be ignored. And, and there's just so much talk um, and, and not enough action. So, you know, hopefully that, that I'm wrong on that. Hopefully we do see the Eagle Act have its day. Hopefully, you know, we see the continuation of the, the America's Children's Act because um, both address separate issues, right? Um, and, and I'm hopeful that, that common sense prevails and, and that we understand that the root cause, right? The, 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 the percentages, quotas, on country of origin uh, continue to remain to be the root cause. Laws that were put in place in 1990, um, to me, are no longer as valid 32 years uh, from that from that time frame. Uh, technology, innovation, the overall climate, socially speaking, here in the U.S. has changed significantly. Uh, so I'm hoping that sooner rather than later, whether it's standalone whether it's some sort of comprehensive immigration reform, um, that we begin to see some, some real change, uh, change that provides relief for uh, millions, right? We're, we're talking about millions of people. While it may be a small subsection, we're still talking about millions of people and what that impact has as it relates to labor shortages, as it relates to our talent pool. You may, you may be saying, well, Robert, if they're on H-1B, they're already living and working here in the U.S. Correct. But H-1B is, is intended to be temporary, right? Six years. And the only reason why individuals are still living and working here on H-1B, specifically those from India and China, um, is because of the, the cap on um, employment-based preferences for green cards from country of origin. And H-1B is not intended to be extended in three-year increments for eight to 12 years. It's, it's just not. It's meant to be a tip of the spear, bringing in high-tech, high-skilled, and then allowing employers to make a decision on those individuals um, if, if they are worthy and if they cannot find um, a U.S. citizen or green card counterpart for that position, 
than to do a perm labor certification. Uh, so I continue to remain hopeful that we'll see some reform. Um, but as of right now, it, it, it's beginning to feel to me like that's becoming less and less likely. I uh, just wanted to ask you again to please make sure to like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we go live like we have here today on June 22nd, 2022. If you're looking for ways you can support the H1B Guy platform, you can do so via the Super Chat currently uh, through the live stream of YouTube or the Super Thanks function if you're watching this at a later date. Um, also wanted to let you know that there are ways that you can help produce content on the h1bguy.com and here on the h1bguy channel um, in the video description below. Uh, if you're watching uh, this or listening to this via the H1B Guy podcast at a later date, just wanted to say thank you for your continued support and your listens. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a rating. Um, and if you're looking for uh, subjects, topics that you'd like me to cover, please feel free to reach out to me directly. Wanted to move on to the last discussion um, that I had in store for today. And, you know, I don't really cover a lot of PTI, uh, Press Trust India content. I, I have on occasion, and I think some of it's pretty good, but a, a lot of it to me personally um, seems very distanced and, and removed, but there was an article that PTI had put out, um, that the website first post picked up. And this was last Thursday, uh, June 16th, 2022. The article is titled H1B operation has not kept pace with country's needs says U S political commentator. And the article goes on to say, quote, in 2005, 85,000 visas were made available. Today, nearly 20 years later, 85,000 visas are, are available. There are many promising options for expanded skill immigration. Mia Love, a former Republican congresswoman, top political commentator and national outreach director of Utah University, said during her testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee on Wednesday, testifying before the subcommittee on immigration citizenship and border safety which held a hearing on strengthening the workforce love said research suggests expansion of high skilled immigration will boost economic growth expand american businesses and provide more opportunities for the disadvantaged according to the research by the center of growth and opportunity H-1B visa has been a valuable component of the U.S. immigration system since 1990, but its operation has not kept pace with the country's needs, she said in response to a question. The United States, she stressed, should stop treating people like liabilities that need to be managed and start treating them like assets that can be developed for the betterment of the country and communities. I'm going to read that one more time, and, and that is, the United States, she stressed, should stop treating people like liabilities that need to be managed and start treating them like assets that can be developed for the betterment of the country and communities. Uh, of course, this has been a, a theme here as well that I've always felt like the best and brightest high-skilled immigrants willing to come to the U.S. are a, a key asset to our innovation and technology. They just are. Um, I've seen this over the, the better part of my 18-year career. And it's something that, in, in my opinion, it, it just, it, 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 it's very common sense. 
um, which is to say is as long as we continue to restrict right the flow of immigrants into the u.s high skilled or otherwise we're going to continue to be in a situation <coughs> excuse me where we're going to be in in this this global war on talent right um we look at countries our neighbors to the north canada um what they're currently doing and how they're positioning themselves our neighbors to the south mexico if you drop a little further down into central america the the idea of the nomad visas which we covered um you know a few live streams ago uh you're seeing the the evolution of countries that are opening their their borders for high skilled immigrants to come and live and work um and and i want to make sure that that the emphasis here is is that i personally am not in a situation where i want to increase um the international number of h1b visas but i would like to see some modifications either to the opt OPT STEM process, or potentially looking at uh, increasing the advanced degree category for H-1Bs. Uh, and, and I go on, the reason why I say that and, and to back that up is I feel like folks that immigrants that come here to the U.S. that receive a master's degree here in the U.S., U.S. educated, should be given an opportunity to continue um, that pursuit of the American dream. U.S. educated, an opportunity to work here in the U.S., that isn't temporary, okay? And I know the H-1B visa is temporary, but there's a lot of dominoes there that, that, that have to fall that would potentially address that. But where I'm going with this is that if you come here and you get an MBA, a, a, wherever you're from, okay? Wherever you're from, you get an MBA, you're only gonna have 12 months of, of work authorization under your, your OPT. And then at that point, your options become pretty limited. And so the, the question becomes, are we incentivizing, um, you know, the, the world's youth who have constantly sought the U.S. as the number one destination for education as well as employment? Is, th is that something that we want to see change? And is that good? And, and my answer continues to be no. I've always felt like um, when we look at uh, the international student numbers and we look at the overall H-1B numbers, there there's parallels that can be made. But many times, you know, individuals will come here, work under OPT, and then because of the way the H-1B lottery works, because of the, the shift to this electronic registration, when you have almost a half a million registrations, um, the odds of selection have been significantly reduced and the value of the H-1B continues to go higher and higher. And so this then lends itself to the notion of how do we go about increasing um, the workforce? Can we do that via H-1B? And, and would that be a possibility to potentially look at increasing the numbers on the advanced degree category, which currently now sit at um, 20,000? And so some of the suggestions from some of the pundits I've, I've seen out there have suggested increasing that advanced degree number uh, to as high as 65,000, which would put the overall H-1B number somewhere around 130,000 annually. And if we go back and we look at, okay, what does that mean for the most recent lottery? Well, there was 127,000 plus names selected, but USCIS is still 
on record basically publicly stating that they only expect the 66 app, uh, percent application rate. So if we were to increase the overall allocation um, for that advanced degree category, what would that impact be? Would that be an opportunity to allow individuals to continue to live and work here that are U.S. educated? Um, I think it's an interesting subject and definitely an interesting topic. Um, I know many of you have felt like, well, if you're going to increase the number of H-1B visas that are made uh, available annually, then there would need to be a cap on those. Um, and, and my point would be, no, that 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 would not be the appropriate path. Why would we want to cap one category when we're looking to remove a cap in another? Um, and I would say that that would ultimately mean if we were going to increase H-1B visa allocation, it would have to be under uh, the assumption or kind of the, 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 the concept that um, country caps for employment-based preferences would, would be lifted. So uh, I think it's an interesting idea. I know it's one that um, many individuals out there um, have some, some pretty strong opinions on one way or the other. Um, but again, if, if I were to look at it kind of holistically, I, I feel like that advanced degree category would be a, an opportunity where we could see some increases that, that could potentially uh, benefit uh, our, our innovation uh, in technology um, here in the U.S. for small business all the way up to large enterprise. Uh, so wanted to ask you again, if you haven't already, to please like this video. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and click the bell for notifications. So that you're notified anytime we go live like we have here today on june 22nd 2022 uh, if you're looking for ways you could support the h1b guy platform you can do so currently through the super chat function here on youtube or the super thanks if you're watching at a later date um, there are also ways to help produce content that goes on the h1bguy.com as well as uh, the h1b guy youtube channel here via the links in the video description below um, I also wanted to go ahead and mention that next week on June 29th will be the two-year anniversary of the H1BGuy.com as well as the H1BGuy YouTube channel. Um, I'm planning to do another live stream uh, possibly um, around 2 p.m., 2 or 3 p.m. next Wednesday. A lot of that just depends on my availability, but please come help me celebrate our two-year anniversary. Um, we'll also maybe do a little bit of a look at, ahead to the August Visa Bulletin that'll be coming out in July. And uh, wanted to, to, to just have you all know that uh, I'm really grateful and thankful for all of your support um, over the last two years. I can't do it without you. So thank you so much for everyone who reaches out to me, asks me questions, asks me comments, um, streams these live streams, watches them at a later date. Just really appreciative of your continued support. So with that being said, I wanted to jump into the questions and comments. Um, I see a couple already in the chat. Um, I know there's one that was previously put out on um, the, the stream before we started here. So I'm going to get to that one first. Uh, but if you have questions or comments, please feel free to drop those in the live chat and I will get to those over the next 10 minutes or so. Um, so the first question that I received comes from... Uh, Praveen Madhu, who asks, hello, H-1B guy, any chance of H-1B 2023 second lottery? 
Yeah, and I, I touched on this a little bit earlier, Praveen. Um, and of course, my stream last week was dedicated to this pretty significantly. Um, but just to give you kind of a, a quick recap, um, you know, earlier in the stream, I, I talked about cases being transferred from Vermont Service Center to California Service Center, specifically those new H-1B, um, initial H-1B applications, right? H-1Bs that are for fiscal year 2023. And so, <clears throat> you know, as we kind of work through that and what does that mean? Well, that means that tells me that, that there has been a bit of a processing delay in issuing out uh, receipt notices. Um, this to me is a, an effort of USCIS to look to, um, you know, potentially help resolve some of those processing delays that, that are, are occurring. Uh, but again, as, as I talked about last week, I expect if we're going to hear something, uh, Praveen, it will be as early as July 22nd. Um, and I think as late as maybe August 5th, notifications could go out as late as like August 6th or August 7th. Uh, but anywhere in kind of that two-week time frame, excuse me, I expect that USCIS will, will be posting that a second random selection was held. Now, if they don't do that, we may see that um, the allotment and demand has been met and that the, the, the cap um, for the H-1B lottery, the quota for fiscal year 2023 has been met. Uh, and, and ultimately, um, you know, that, that me uh, would tell me that there would not be a, a second lottery held. Right. Uh, but as I've said, you know, USCS, uh, publicly showing us based on the amount of registrations that were selected, that they're expecting about a 66% application rate. Uh, and another question that I got that I thought was really good. Um, and, and I think it was in one of the comments. Uh, on on the channel on one of the videos uh, that that asked um, how are they going to fulfill the 127,000 registrations that were selected if everyone applies? Uh, my assumption is that is that would be a first come first serve basis, meaning first in, selected and approved. That number's counted against. Uh, but I, I don't foresee. Uh, a situation where there's going to be um, 127,000 applications filed for, for the fiscal year 2023 lottery. I, ju I just don't foresee that. Um, but I, I think that, you know, ultimately, um, I still I still believe there's going to be a second random selection that'll be held. And, and again, I, I believe that if it if and when it does occur, that will be um, a, a month from now, sometime between July 22nd and August 5th. Any thoughts on, or updates on immigration reform for 11 million? Um, Akif, I'm sorry, I'm not understanding the question, but what I would tell you um, is that I was very confident a few months ago that there was going to be immigration reform. Um, as of right now, I'm, I'm feeling like uh, you're not going to see uh, any sort of uh, legislation work through either chamber um, before the end of this year. And, and a lot of that has to do with immigration is, is really taking a back burner um, here in this midterm election year, we kind of foreshadowed some of that at the end of last year, coming into this year when we looked at at predictions. 
Um, so, uh, again, it, it really is to me a matter of how's it going to work itself through. And, and I just I don't believe that we'll see any sort of executive orders. I, I could be wrong. Um, I know that there are many advocacy groups out there um, that are, you know, diligently working on their own initiatives um, and, and doing everything that they can to to try to find relief for for each of their causes. Um, that that includes DACA. That includes Documented Dreamers. That includes the green card backlog. Right. Uh, so there's all these different factions out there that that are actively working and advocating. I just I don't I don't foresee um, the president using executive action, executive orders to do so. Um, and I also I, I, I really don't don't believe that, you know, kind of based on where we are in the political climate currently, that that we're going to see. Um, any pieces of legislation move through. And that's right now that this all could change next week. It just could. The situations continue to remain as about as fluid as the visa bulletin does. Um, hey, JCP, how are you? Hi, thanks for doing this. Do you see Department of State moving EB2 dates for final action towards mid-January 2015 or further in August this year? I, I actually do. What I don't know, and I've, I've been doing some calculations, um, looking at some of, of the numbers, right? Because it's a very complex algorithm and um, I'm, I'm not a statistician or, or mathematician, right? Um, I just have been tracking and following the Visa Bulletin for the better part of 10 years. So I have a feel for it, right? My hunch. Um, it's not always right. Many of you love to remind me of that. But um, yeah, I, I think... I think right now, and, and I'm going to talk about this more next week, but I think right now that, that we're going to see some, some movement, um, continued movement maybe uh, in August and September for dates of filing. Um, and, I, and I think that, that the goal will be to get final action dates uh, forward as much as they can into 2015, um, whether that's you know February or March by the September bulletin or maybe even April, um, I, I do think um, that, that they're going to make a, a conscious effort to, uh, to process as many cases as, as they can. Uh, and if we go back to, to 2020, summer of, of, of 2020, um, you know, one of the things that, that I continue to, to, to recall um, is that U, USCIS, really from July, August, and September, process thousands and thousands of employment-based green cards. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see what they do over the next quarter. Good question. Uh, what's my anticipation on how many visas um, will be available for fiscal year 2023? So you're asking how, how many employment-based visas do I foresee uh, we're going to be available going into next year? Uh, well, of course, we know um, uh, 140,000 uh, available. Um, the question becomes, are, are there going to be any family-based or, or previous spillovers available? Um, you know, I'm not sure. We've seen, uh, you know, over the last three years, there's there's been spillovers um, that, that have been available for employment-based. And, and when they're not used, they go back to, to, to family-based. Um you know, I, I think that that that's absolutely 
a possibility that there there could be some remaining. I don't think it'll be anywhere as close as the 122,000 or so that, that we saw available this year, though. Hey, Rohit, how are you? Do I think the President Advisory Committee's suggestion on green cards reform will cause any impact or change? Can we expect anything out of that suggestion? I do. Uh, I don't think that it's going to happen this year, though. Um, you know, the, the facts are November, first week of November um, is, is almost five months away at this point. Um, you've got incumbents that are on the campaign trail. Uh, trying to save their seats, specifically uh, many Democrats that are up for re-election. Um, you know, here in the state of Georgia, as I mentioned, you know, you've got Senator Warnock that's uh, that's going to be facing off against, uh, you know, former professional athlete uh, Herschel Walker, who's who's finding himself in kind of a very moderate um, Republican uh, point of view, which which lends itself here in, in in the state of Georgia to a lot of what I call the purple purple votes. Um, so, yeah, I think, listen, uh, Biden's not been very good for immigration in his first year plus, year, year and a half. Uh, anyone who tells you that he has been is lying. Um, very clearly, that's that's just, it, it is what it is, okay? Um, but the hope is, right, is that we, we continue to talk about what that root cause is. And the 1.2, 1.4 million and growing green card backlog that includes not only individuals, but their spouses and dependents, many of which are um, ch children facing aging out and, and potentially even self-deportation. Um, so I hope that there is change, but I'm not confident that that's going to happen between now and the end of the year. Um, I think that that could be something that we see a push very early into 2023 um, that, that could possibly um, you know, move its way into the middle, middle half of, of next year. Of course, we'll continue to monitor it, but but that's a great question. Do I think Biden will use executive order on immigration reform by changing am amnesty date to 2010 or 2020? It could be. I, I, I think you could see a change in the registry date. Um, you know, I think that that's, that, that's a possibility. I, I think you know, we've seen that before. I think President Obama, um, you know, utilized that. Um, but but I don't know if it if it's going to have all of the appropriate like bipartisan support it would need. Um, but that 2010 date's an interesting date, that's for sure, because we're talking about 12 years, right? Uh, that's a long time. It's a really long time. Um, am I suggesting that DS will move final action dates to March 2015 by September of this year? I didn't think that they would move them December 2014. So, yeah, I, I think it's a possibility. Um, I think they're looking to move it as much into 2015 as they can before October. Does that mean that we'll see advancement beginning in October? Or, you know, as these rumors have, have continued around the possibility of uh, corrective action starting in October or no, November. Um, yeah, I, I think I think January or February for final action is absolutely on the table as we look at August. Um, and then if we look at what that means as, as we move into September, um, I, I, I think the excuse me, the tell all will be what do dates of filing look like for August bulletin? Is it February or March? And if it's either one of those two, 
then yeah, I, I think that it's absolutely a possibility. By September. Hey, Praveen, thanks for coming on live YouTube. Will there be a second lottery this year? Yeah, you know, again, one of the most popular questions I continue to get, right? And I've talked about it a good bit. I, I know that you've uh, watched a lot of my content out there, but just uh, uh, to, to go over it again, um, as, I, as I talked about very early on in the stream here, you know, USCIS transferring new H-1B cases from Vermont to California tells me that they're really trying to get a good count um, by the beginning of July as to where they stand for the uh, allotment that is available, the numbers that are available for fiscal year 2023. Um, so this still leads me to believe that there's a very high possibility of a second lottery that could be held on uh, anywhere between July 22nd through August 5th or, or 6th, right? Kind of that two-week time frame. Uh, but if that if the second lottery, if a random second lottery selection isn't announced, um, I believe that we'd see USCIS come out during that same time frame and say that um, quota for the cap has been met. Uh, but I still I still think it's a very high possibility. And the reason why I say that is I think we're going to see somewhere around 58 percent application rate which would put it somewhere around 14 to 15,000 H-1Bs that would still be available for fiscal year 2023, um, thus uh, determining and, and, and creating the necessity to have a second random selection. Uh, so great question. Uh, appreciate you uh, asking that. Um, well, what I wanted to do now is just remind everyone uh, again really quickly, uh, next Wednesday, June 29th, is the two-year anniversary of the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, as well as the H1BGuy.com. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you all for everyone who took time to join me here on this live stream uh, for your questions and comments. Really appreciate it. I wanted to remind everyone uh, that today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, uh, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. If you're facing an H-1B denial or OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have a plan B and Syndesis and Path to Canada are your answers. If you want to find out if you qualify, Syndesis and Path to Canada will gladly help you navigate the process. But please be sure to use the link in the video description below and someone from Syndesis or Path to Canada will be in touch. And also by perm-ads.com. The industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. If you're looking to reduce your costs and overhead associated with perm labor certification recruitment advertising, let perm-ads.com help you. And also by Mob Squad. Are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges? Uh, maybe your OPT visa is about to expire. You were not selected in the first round of the H-1B lottery, and the uncertainty of a second lottery uh, has you concerned about your future. Our partner, Mob Squad, has a solution. Mob Squad helps technology professionals that are facing those U.S. work visa-related uncertainties remain working with their current U.S. company nearshore from Canada, as well as technology professionals from all around the world who are seeking an opportunity to find a rewarding career in North America. Their partnership with the Canadian government, they can obtain a work permit for you and your spouse in as little as six to eight weeks. Whether you're looking to stay working with your current U.S. company or you want to find a new opportunity in Canada, 
please find out how the team at Mob Squad can help you via the link in the video description below. Join the squad. Wanted to ask you one last time, please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we go live like we did here today on June 22nd, 2022 at 2 p.m. Eastern. If you've made it this far, I just want to say thank you so much for joining my live stream or watching this at a later date. I just really appreciate your support. I cannot do this without you. I can't believe that we are coming up on our last week uh, heading into our second year of, of doing this or finalizing our second year heading into to, to year three. Um, please make plans to join me next Wednesday. It's going to be a really special show. i uh, really looking forward to, um, to, to celebrating with all of you and talking more about the latest in U.S.-based immigration uh, for high-skilled immigrants looking to come here to the U.S. I'm Robert. I'm the H-1B guy, your global source for all things H-1B.